Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we've got an interesting story to talk about. Before we do, I strongly suspect that a number of the phrases and words that I say in this video are likely to rub the YouTube robots the wrong way. So if you could share the message, tell folks that we are out here, help that engagement and help spread this particular video, my guess is you'll be doing it commercial free because I I would be willing to bet that YouTube will demonetize this. And why will they demonetize it? Because we are going to be talking about something called QAnon in respect of a Twitter ban that went into effect last night. Now, if you are like me, you might have heard the phrase QAnon in various places across the internet, but aren't probably that familiar with it. It's a conspiracy theory type organization belief system that originated in some of the darker corners of the web, and Twitter has decided that enough is enough, so they're going to get rid of the whole darn thing. Now, with that as background, let's take a look at what Twitter actually said about it. Twitter safety in a tweet last night, 8 p.m., prime news coverage time, if you're Twitter, which is its own story, we've been clear that we will take strong enforcement action on behavior that has the potential to lead to offline harm. In line with this approach, this week we are taking further action on so-called QAnon activity across the service. We will permanently suspend accounts tweeting about these topics that we know are engaged in violations of our multi-account policy, coordinating abuse around individual victims, or are attempting to evade a previous suspension, something we've seen more of in recent weeks. In addition, we will no longer serve content and accounts associated with QAnon in trends and recommendations, work to ensure we're not highlighting this activity in search and conversations, and block URLs associated with QAnon from being shared on Twitter. These actions will be rolled out comprehensively this week. We will continue to review this activity across our service and update our rules and enforcement approach again if necessary. As we work at scale to protect the public conversation in the face of evolving threats, we'll continue to lead with transparency and offer more context on our efforts. In other words, we'll tell you more later, but this is what we're doing right now. Now, there's a lot to dig into here just with respect to this statement. So we'll start here. We've also got an article that I think details things a little bit better than Twitter did on its own by talking to a Twitter spokesperson. But suffice it to say, if you read through all of this and you had never heard the phrase QAnon before, you probably know nothing additional based solely on Twitter's statement about why this is happening right now. They claim that they are doing it to, for a potential to lead to offline harm. And you certainly see in this first kind of substantive statement that they give us that they are aimed at things that we know are against their rules. Multi-account policies, coordinating abuse around individual victims, or attempting to evade previous suspensions or bans are all things that Twitter generally bans, generally prohibits but not on a topic-by-topic basis, right? They look at the actual behavior. Are you using multiple accounts to try to enhance your message? Are you avoiding bans? Are you encouraging the abuse of individual victims? Not, are you somehow affiliated with this name or hashtag or group or organization, and now we are going to ban all reference to that name or group or organization? There are bad actors, there are bad apples affiliated with every group everywhere. 
If you have been watching this channel for a while, you know we did a video at the start of really the unrest here in the United States in which I had a section where a number of commenters actually criticized me for where I said, you won't see hashtags and group names and things like that on my channel or in virtual legality because I can't control what everybody in those organizations does. And so I don't want to be affiliated with people that I am not intimately aware of. If I don't know who you are, what you organize, what you stand for, what you might do tomorrow, I don't want your name affiliated with my brand, with my channel, and what I'm putting out there into the world. Similarly, I am positive that there are people that are associated with QAnon that are bad apples, just like there are people associated with any other brand, any other name, any other affiliation that are also bad apples in general, a Western democracy, a country that ostensibly is in favor of the concept of freedom of speech, even though Twitter has private rights to do what it wants and to kick people off their platform, the country that believes in that freedom should look at this and say, you're going to kill a whole topic, regardless of whether they use multiple accounts or avoided bans or coordinated abuse. We're starting to get into a dicey bit of area. Then you start to ask, who watches the watchers question, right? What do you mean by associated with QAnon? Do they have to have it in their profile? Are you keeping some kind of list, maybe a blacklist about folks that have said something that is remotely similar to what QAnon might have said sometime in the past? Now you're starting to get into Twitter keeping essentially a list of folks that it doesn't want to serve content to, doesn't want to have appear in their trends or recommendations. And then the side question to that is, are you going to get a notification of that? If you are marked by Twitter in such a fashion, or is it going to be some kind of silent suspension, silent ban, maybe a form of shadow ban? And you start to ask these questions, not because QAnon is anything that needs to be defended. I don't know anything about them. Certainly when I read these articles researching this video, they seem to have some interesting ideas. And I certainly think they are entitled to be treated as conspiracy theorists in a number of ways. But I also don't pretend that the best way to keep that messaging down is to just obliterate it. As we will see in this video, the worst possible thing you can do, especially to a group that believes that some kind of deep state big tech formulation is keeping their message down, is to go public with the notion that you're going to keep their message down. They also say they will work not to ensure that highlights happen with respect to these, and they will block URLs, again, associated with QAnon. I don't know exactly what kind of metric they are going to use for that, what kind of due diligence or research they're going to use for that, and they don't tell us. They say these actions will be rolled out comprehensively this week, and we will continue to review this activity across our service and update our rules and enforcement approach again if necessary. Update our rules is an interesting term of art in the tech field, right? If you've been in virtual legality for a while now, you know we cover terms of service, terms of use a lot. And one of the terms that is always in those kinds of uh, documents, wherever they might appear on the internet and with respect to whatever service you might be using, is that they can be amended really at any time and for any purpose by the platform holder, whether that's YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or Twitch or whomever. And while they can update that, we have to be aware of what those changes are, and we've regularly covered changes in Twitter's approach to enforcement. The fact that they think that they might need to, quote unquote, update their rules to do this kind of thing, I think should cause a chilling effect for those of us that use the service because they are admitting that they don't necessarily have the tools right now in the wording in their own documents to do what it is that this looks like. And we'll see, there isn't a great rule that they can point to to say we are going to ban a topic 
We are going to identify things that are associated with that topic, and we are going to ban them, suspend them, no longer serve their content. And we are going to be the judge, jury, and executioner of who is quote unquote associated with that topic. Heck, just by putting this YouTube video out there, I might on Twitter be identified as associated with QAnon and what then happens to my Twitter profile and Twitter account. That should be a question that everybody is asking, regardless of where you fall on the QAnon conspiracy spectrum. And I don't fall anywhere in particular. Finally, they finish off with the most laughable tweet. As we work at scale to protect the public conversation, nothing says protecting a conversation like banning a portion of it. And in the face of evolving threats, which we will not name here and which you should figure out on your own, we'll continue to lead with transparency. Maybe they mean it on a more quantitative basis. Whatever transparency we're giving, we're going to continue to give it because it certainly isn't transparent right now. Maybe they are just committing to this level of opacity in the future because this is not transparent. They don't say exactly why this is happening right now. They don't say what QAnon folks have done. They just kind of wave their hands at coordinating abuse, potential to lead to offline harm. And then they lower a sword of Damocles. They hit with a very strong hammer. And everybody that has anything that doesn't talk exactly about what Twitter wants you to talk about should be concerned because this is the kind of weapon that they are likely to wield again and again and again, especially as we move towards November in the United States. Now, if you're like me, you immediately wanted to know more about this. That's a big ban. I've never seen anything like this on social media yet. So I said, okay, what is this all about? So I went to the NBC News article and it says, Twitter bans 7,000 QAnon accounts, limits 150,000 others. As part of a broad crackdown, the company will classify QAnon as coordinated harmful activity, in part because of a rise in harassment targeting high profile critics of the president. I like that subheading because I said, okay, that's at least something to hang their hat on. I'm interested in this article to find out more about that subheading. Unfortunately, the news is that there is nothing in this article that talks at all about this subheading, nothing that Twitter gave to NBC News that suggests that there is a rise in harassment targeting high-profile critics of the president. NBC News actually has to go back and pull up articles from 2019 to suggest why QAnon might be a problem. And so we're left again in this kind of morass of what is actually happening here. Twitter announced Tuesday that it has begun taking sweeping actions to limit the reach of QAnon content, banning many of the conspiracy theories followers because of problems with harassment and misinformation. Now, for one, did you see any reference to misinformation in the Twitter thread? I certainly didn't. And there's a good reason for that. When Twitter starts to come out and say, we are banning this thing because it misinforms, you start to get the idea that what Twitter doesn't ban, Twitter is blessing is putting a specific halo around that this is correct information and that this is misinformation. And that starts to get into problems as we'll see at the end of this video. The action will affect 150,000 accounts, said a spokesperson who asked to remain unnamed because of concerns about targeted harassment of social media employees. Now I can understand that. The internet is a world of targeted harassment. And certainly when something like this happens with a group like this, you do have the risk of having targeted harassment, but we still have to put the grain of salt warning on. When you are going to anonymously speak for an organization taking this significant of a step and you are censoring topics, right? People come into my comments and they say, well, it's not censorship if it's not the government. 
I agree. It's not a violation of the Constitution. Nobody is being threatened to be thrown into prison or have their livelihood taken away because Twitter won't let you tweet on their platform. Or maybe they'll just shadow ban you and they won't let others see the tweets on their platform. But it is still a form of censorship. It is still a reduction in the freedom of speech. It is still a reduction in the battle of ideas. I still and forever will stand for the notion that you kill bad ideas with better ideas. You have the conversation and you expose people for the idiots that they are, but you can't do that when you ban the conversation in its entirety. And I know a lot of you don't like that. I know a lot of you don't agree with that stance, but it is my stance. And I am very fervent in the belief that that is the proper way to deal with dumb ideas and dumb notions, is to address them head on and hopefully with a good, well-intentioned and smart argument on your side as well. Now, again, you see the reference here to platform manipulation, spam, or ban evasion. That is a topic that Twitter has hit again and again. You can't artificially amplify or disrupt conversations through the use of multiple accounts. You can't avoid bans. This is something that is well within Twitter's wheelhouse. And so if they had left it at that, these accounts that are doing that are the ones that we are going to ban, I don't think this would be that big of a story. The sweeping enforcement action will also ban QAnon-related terms, which were not identified, from appearing in trending topics and the platform's search feature, a ban known QAnon-related URLs, and prohibit swarming of people who are baselessly targeted by coordinated harassment campaigns pushed by QAnon followers. Presumably, NBC News didn't mean to put the word baselessly in there. It implies that it's going to be okay on Twitter to target coordinated harassment campaigns if there's some basis for it. Presumably QAnon and any other group isn't baselessly targeting people, at least not in their own minds. So you don't need that particular proviso, and I doubt Twitter actually gave it to them. The spokesperson said that while the targeted enforcement fell under Twitter's existing platform manipulation rules, as we just said, its classification of QAnon material and behavior as coordinated harmful activity was a new designation. Now note that word harmful. It's going to match up with another word we see in one of the most important statutes regarding the internet and one that is going to come under fire again because of actions like this. But they are trying to say it's more than just platform manipulation. It's actually harmful. Now they actually don't use the words coordinated harmful activity in their terms of service or in their rules that I could find. If you do find it, please put it in the comments to this video. I'd be happy to check it out. It appears to be a reference in general to the kind of overall concept that you see under their abuse terms, where they say that we prohibit behavior that encourages others to harass or target specific individuals or groups with abusive behavior. So that makes sense. It's not exactly coordinated harm as they kind of indicate in their uh, tweets, but it does match up broadly with what they are trying to say here. The problem again is transparency. If you are going to do something like this, and I generally stand for the fact that we shouldn't be okay with harassment, we shouldn't be okay with targeted harm, we shouldn't be okay with these kinds of things, you're going to have to put the receipts out there at some point, Twitter. Instead, you just go out there and say, well, because of all this rising harm, we're going to do this. But it's not obvious to someone sitting on the outside like I am, probably like you are if you're watching this in virtual legality. So you wind up with an action that just censors speech. And even if I would be in favor of it, you didn't give me the backing to use that I might say, okay, well, I'm not in favor of censoring speech in general. This crosses the line and I can understand why you did it. You didn't give me enough information. And in fact, you wind up having me search terms like QAnon and finding news articles like this where NBC News describes it as a right-wing conspiracy theory that centers on the baseless belief that an anonymous tipster is revealing how President Donald Trump is leading a secret war against a so-called deep state. 
And yeah, I don't know this particular conspiracy theory from Adam. It seems like every YouTube video I do, I learn about a few more conspiracy theories. Thank you, commenters. But in this particular instance, that's fine for a description from NBC News. But in general, there's all sorts of conspiracy theories that are being spread on Twitter all the time. If you haven't been on social media in the past, I don't know, decade, maybe you haven't seen them, but in general, there are conspiracy theories being spread around and some of which are harmful all over the place. And so what makes QAnon separate? I think it is beholden on a Twitter or a Facebook or a YouTube to help establish what it is so that we can at least better understand how this kind of decision came to be. Then you have NBC News pulling up all of these 2019 articles and an FBI designation again from 2019, none of which relate to July 22nd or 21st, 2020. So we are left with no further information. And that leads us to the overall purpose of this video. What happens when a tech company or any other company takes a significant step to do something to suppress information? And maybe they're within their rights. Maybe you come in and you say, Rick, no, I think QAnon really is dangerous. This is okay. Twitter should take steps. What happens when that occurs and when you don't give additional information and when people have to go figure out what it is you just did? This happens. Google trending searches, number one, Wednesday, July 22nd. QAnon, 200,000 plus searches. I can guarantee you that 200,000 plus searches for QAnon were not being conducted for the prior month before this happened at Twitter. So you get into a situation where not only do you try to suppress speech, not only do you try to suppress that speech that is actually based on the premise that big groups and big forces are trying to suppress our message, but you also encourage everybody to go seek it out. What do we call that? Well, we call it the Streisand effect. As Wikipedia says the Streisand effect is a social phenomenon that occurs when an attempt to hide, remove, or censor information has the unintended consequence of further publicizing that information, often via the internet. Now, this actual Wikipedia entry says it was coined by Mike Masnick of Tech Dirt in 2005. I will formally and personally object to this particular sentence in Wikipedia because my law professors were talking about the Streisand effect in 2004, I actually graduated in 2005, so I, I, there's a limited amount of time where I could have learned about it in law school, and I, in fact, did before my third year. And this particular uh, comment from Tech Dirt is still useful to us. How long is it going to take before lawyers realize that the simple act of trying to repress something they don't like online is likely to make it so that something that most people would never, ever see is now seen by many more people? Let's call it the Streisand effect. And if you aren't familiar with the direct reference here, this was in respect of a case that Barbara Streisand filed about some photos that uh, were taken of her home. It says, before Streisand filed her lawsuit, the particular image had been downloaded from the other law firm's website six times, and two of those were by Streisand's attorneys. As a result of the case, public knowledge of the picture increased greatly, and more than 420,000 people visited the site over the following month. Well, i tell you what, Twitter just engaged in the Streisand effect writ large. And for what purpose, right? They didn't tell us what it is that triggered this particular action, this particular day, this particular week. Now we have our guesses because we're moving closer and closer and closer to a presidential election of some import and we're all dealing with the world in 2020. But without that additional information, you have people go and seek out this information. And worse, you have Twitter effectively taking another step towards burning the internet to the ground. 
You might have seen me do in virtual legality a video a couple of months ago now at this point that talked about President Trump's executive order, that he wants to change the function of the Communication Decency Act, Section 230. That's probably a reference that you will also see online around this particular topic. If you aren't familiar with it, and if you are familiar with it because you've been in virtual legality for a while, I am sorry. This particular law says that if you are a platform, if you are a provider of a service online, you won't be held liable for an action taken in good faith to restrict access to any information that you consider to be, among other things, otherwise objectionable, which matches up with the concept of harm because the rest of these are really focused on things that we might consider illegal or harmful. Obscenity, lewdness, lasciviousness, filthiness, violence, harassment, and things that you find otherwise objectionable. And what you will also see online is reference to making Twitter or Facebook or whomever into a publisher rather than a platform, and that that distinction is somehow important. Now, if you haven't followed my videos before, there is no distinction in the law between platform and publisher. But what there is a distinction on is whether or not you are an interactive computer service or an information content provider. And, and what's important here is that what the liability shield of Section 230 does is it says you, platform holder, are not responsible for information generated by third parties. You are responsible for your own information. If for some reason the Twitter safety tweets were defamatory or otherwise illegal, they're not, but pretending that they are, then Twitter could, of course, be sued on what Twitter says. But they can't be sued for what Stacey Walker says or Melissa Tate or anybody else that responds to their tweets. That's a third party under CDA 230. But where people get confused slash concerned is that at some point, a platform just by logic would become an information content provider under this definition. And we've covered this before, that an information content provider under this law is someone that is responsible in whole or in part for the creation or development of information. And the example that I usually use here, and this is nowhere close to happening on Twitter, so use it only as an example, is that if we can imagine a Twitter or a Facebook or a YouTube that used its moderation powers under these two sections, you won't be treated as a content provider just by the nature of you operating a service. You're allowed to moderate your actual service contents. And if that platform eliminated everything but pro-Trump tweets or posts or everything else, they would have a hard time claiming that they were not developing information content essentially as a kind of sculpture, right? Sculptures start in blocks and you get rid of everything you don't want to wind up with the statue that you do want. There is a notion that at some point down the line, one of these services could go far enough that what they have ultimately done by eliminating everything that is contrary is endorse what they have allowed to survive as a sculptor does with the statue that they make. That isn't happening yet. And I know people get concerned about these kinds of things. And I know people look at platform versus publisher. The God's honest truth is that it would take a change in the law to get to that understanding because of how strong this language is. No provider or user of a service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. You have to trip from service to provider in a way that is very unlikely to be seen in the court system. And I know that frustrates a number of you on both sides of the political spectrum that come out and see these platforms doing things that you don't view as just 
And I don't disagree with you. I think Twitter is very selective in who it decides to punish, just like I think YouTube is and Facebook is. And big tech really does need to have a reformation of its laws because if they don't and Twitter takes these kinds of actions, not only do they completely fail in their censorship, and not only do they encourage the president to have executive orders signed against them, but there is no solve coming from the other side. If you aren't familiar with it in the United States, and this channel was a lot smaller when Virtual Legality episode 160 went up, Joe Biden gave an interview to the New York Times where he said specifically that 230 needs to go. And if you think at all that platforms and the internet at large needs to have some ability to say we're not liable for what the crazy person put in our forums, as I do, then this should scare the heck out of you because Twitter is being reckless with the powers and the benefits that they have been given. They are doing it poorly to no or negative effect, and they are encouraging both Republicans and Democrats to make trouble for the internet that you and I and everybody else knows and loves, and all under the auspices that transparency is core to everything that they do. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this video, I don't know if you can actually enjoy the kinds of things we talked about today, but if you found it interesting, please like, subscribe, share it around. I do think this video is pretty likely to be demonetized just because the robots tend to capture when you say phrases like the ones that we said today. So I always appreciate you sharing this on forums or other places that you like that I can't get to because I'm otherwise making these videos or, or practicing law. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it on podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.